Tonight on the Twilight Zone podcast, in a change from the show that I announced last time, I'm going to do something a little bit different. But first, I'm going to take you back to 2009 when I was mainly involved in the horror world. I was reviewing horror movie DVDs on a website. I was just starting my first podcast. And then soon after that, I would start writing for Scream Magazine here in the UK, where I interviewed several people. So as a young horror fan, I reached out for the first time to try and interview someone from the horror world from a movie that I loved. And thankfully, the first person I asked was a lady called Barbie Wilde. She gracefully agreed, and I clumsily put together an email of questions which she answered. And uh, that went up on the website. So that kind of set me on the road to a lot of things. You know, Barbie probably doesn't realise that without that happening... I probably wouldn't be here doing this, you know, everything's connected. And after that, I have interviewed her on several occasions, seen her at events and so on, and we've become friends now. Now, because we were so much part of that horror world, we never really realised that we were both huge Twilight Zone fans. And I've always wanted to sit down and talk to her about it, and we were catching up recently, and we got talking about one thing or another, And I thought, you know what, let's do it. Let's hit record and let's just talk some Twilight Zone. And of course, it leads on to other things in Barbie's career now. So it's worked out well for a couple of reasons. Now, the interview that I announced in the last episode, the company who organised it have asked that I put it out nearer the end of the month. So I've got a bit of a gap in the schedule. And unfortunately, I've got a bit of a cold at the moment and it's not a prime time to be recording a regular Twilight Zone podcast where I have to talk for an hour. So thankfully this has turned out well because I'll let Barbie do all the talking. So it is a bit different, it's not completely Twilight Zone, but hopefully you will still enjoy it because, you know, since that first contact with Barbie, I just completely fell in love with her and I always enjoy speaking to her, so I hope you will enjoy hearing it too. Now, what I will also do on the Twilight Zone podcast Patreon page is put a previous interview that I did with Barbie a few years ago where we do talk about things like Hellraiser and her horror career a bit more. And that'll be going out at the same time as this. So it won't be part of the subscription. You can go over to that page, patreon.com slash Twilight Zone podcast and listen to it for free. So my thanks to Barbie for stepping up and uh, I hope you enjoy the chat and I will speak to you on the other side. I I suddenly realized people always ask me this and I'm happy to say things again. I mean, Mm -hmm. um, people always say, well, Barbie, you always tell the same stories, but you sell them with such enthusiasm (laughs) Um, (laughs) over and over again. But, you know, the, the fact that that, you know, I oh Patricia Highsmith, Dashiell Hammett. Hemingway, Clive Barker, these are the people who have inspired me. And then I uh-huh. suddenly thought, God, you twit. What about Rod Serling? Yeah. My God, this is the man that, for good or bad, was one of the major influences on my my sick and twisted childhood and all my <laughs> paranoias and everything. You know, I mean, uh, so it, it is, it is, you know, and looking back at, at my favorite episodes, I was almost in tears in some of them, thinking this is so brilliant, uh-huh. you know, and, and I am a huge fan. I'm not quite as nerdy about Twilight Zone as I am with Star Trek. Um, yeah, yeah. But I think that, you know, it was hugely influential on Gene Roddenberry, the stories um, mm-hmm. that I was reading. And, and you know, it, it, it's those two TV shows, I would say, uh, because I grew up in the 60s, uh, mm-hmm. were enormously um, yeah. Uh, influential. So, but uh, Rod is the man, you know. Yeah, and it's the 60th year this year, so it's uh, a lot of stuff going on. Of course, yeah. 1959, yeah. though. But um, <laughs> no, I actually have in my little iPhoto library, I have a favorite Serling uh, Twilight Zone. Um, mm-hmm. You know, every time I see a quote uh, or something, you know, I just put it in there, and it's always so inspirational. And so, what what humanity 
he has. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah. He wrote the screenplay, one of my favorite political films, which is... Uh, is it Seven Days in May, or is that what it's called? You know, I, I'm ashamed to say I haven't actually seen it. Oh, do yourself a treat. I mean, it's so interesting, especially, mm-hmm. I think, what's happening now. But it's, it's packed full of wonderful – I mean, it's got Burt Lancaster and, and Kirk Douglas and Ava Gardner in it, mm-hmm. and um, Mr. Arbogast from Psycho, and <laughs> – um, it, it is a, a superb movie, but also it's got yeah. all of, I mean, he didn't write the book, obviously, on which it's based, but I think it's, it's, he put his, his trademark, um, humanity and, and, you know, the way he looks at things on the script, mm-hmm. it's, it's really worth seeing it's black and white, but I don't know if you like black. Well, of course you must do. You like Twilight. Yeah. Um, it's worth seeing. It's, it's absolutely wonderful. Bobby, I mean, you, you and I have been friends for probably about maybe 10 years or something now times times getting on but um you know we we tend to we used to mix in sort of horror circles a lot you still do of course i'm a bit more twilight zone orientated these days so we're speaking to a different audience maybe so for those who maybe haven't heard of you before could you just give us a bit of a rundown about who you are and what you do well i guess i'm best known for playing the female cenobite in um, Hellbound Hellraiser 2, uh, mm-hmm. which meant I played a kind of a demon, demon from hell. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But I think that um, also I was in Death Wish 3. I was an actress, basically, for a short period of time. And then I went into TV presenting and did film review shows and music shows. Then I went into casting, which was very demoralizing because I still was hoping to be an actress. And before that, before I went into acting, I was in the music business and supported, I was in a band that supported Gary Newman at Wembley called shock and Mm. um, Adam and the ants and all these people. Um, After casting, uh, I left casting. I went back into writing because I've always been interested in writing. And my first short story was called sister Solis in 2009. Mm. And that was in the Hellbound hearts anthology. And, but at the time, I'd written my diary of a serial killer book, The Venus Complex, but I hadn't found a publisher yet. And when I was approached, I said, no, I don't write horror, so I only do crime. And <laughs> and I was encouraged, you know, and because I wrote this horror story, I was asked to submit more and more. And then, um, you know, The Venus Complex came out, um, which you've read. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, that was sort of exploring the sexual mindscape of a serial killer. And then just a few years ago, I released a collection of short stories called Voices of the Damned, which has yeah. been called a delight for the darker senses and all this sort of stuff by Publishers Weekly, which is wonderful for an independent book. And each story has been uh, illustrated by top artists of the genre. But, yeah. um, and uh, that takes me up to just about now. They've got a couple of new things happening, but we could talk about those later. Uh-huh. Uh, but so basically, I'm known for being a Cenobite <laughs> and for throwing a beer bottle at Charles Bronson, which I think isn't bad, actually. That's not bad at all. That's not bad at all. That's more more than most people achieve in, in their working careers. Yes, I know. <laughs> so... Um, but uh, but over the years, um, y- you know, we we sort of mixed in those horror circles, but we've never actually sat down and spoken about the Twilight Zone. And you know, I noticed you will quite often post on your social media little quotes and things, and you're actually a fan of the show. So maybe go over some of your your first Twilight Zone memories and your love of the show. But my father was a huge sci-fi and fantasy fan. Uh huh. And so was my brother, who's four years older than me. And we every, I think it must have been in syndication by the time I was sort of old enough to be allowed to watch The Twilight Zone, because we would have dinner and then sit down and watch The Twilight Zone every night at 7 or 6.30 in the evening. There was The Uh Twilight Zone. And um, it was either that or Gilligan's Island. And I think my phone... (laughs) Although my dad liked Gilbert too, <laughs> because of Tina Louise, uh, he we just adored it. And so my first memories—I mean, I must have been about eight or nine or something—is mm. watching this show, um, and it intrigued me. It scared me, and but there was this this sort of wonderful—I um, don't know—the way that 
that Rod Serling looks at things. He he often had things from kind of a perspective of children, especially like one of my favorite episodes was The Fugitive. Mm. Um, and that little girl, that little bossy blonde girl, <laughs> that was me. <laughs> I'd be directing all my my brother's friends because I they had to use me to get into their favorite tree because I had the biggest tri- tricycle on the block. And so uh-huh. I was I was that character. And so um, I just love that episode. It's one of my favorite ones. Mm. And um, you know, the, the, when the monster comes around the rock, old Ben transforms yeah. himself into a monster and comes around. I was terrified. And watching it recently, he looks like this giant bug or something. You know, I thought, wow, I was so scared of him. Uh, but it was a bit of a shocker because you just say, hey, he's this old geezer coming from behind a rock. No, he's not. He somehow mm-hmm. transformed himself into something extraordinary. So, you know, just a huge influence. And I, I would say that the, the two TV programs that were, of course, I grew up in the 60s, and so we were Cold War, uh, and so uh-huh. it was seeing, you know, the, the comments that he would make of certain, you know, ma- monsters that do in Maple Street and um, the shelter, um, yeah. you know, about the human condition, um, just were really poignant at that point. And then Star Trek came out, and that was another big, you know, my father was so excited that this TV show, written by some of the best sci-fi writers was going to come out so it was those twin things sci-fi fantasy supernatural with the twilight zone and then star trek it was just extraordinary and Mm. uh it was just opened up a whole new world it was wonderful yeah yeah now you mentioned a couple there but um so what what are some of your favorites you know it's too hard to choose (laughs) i'll just (laughs) run through a quickie list i think because of the star trek nerddom connection you gotta say nick of time and nightmare at twenty thousand feet both written by richard matheson starring captain kirk you know and Uh he does such a great job you know that strange sort of theatrical delivery of captain kirk was a few years in the future um but also it it you know with nick of time it was a slavery to this tiny machine and Mm -hmm. um you know the superstitious angle and also with nightmare it's uh, the fear of flying and the person you think is crazy isn't and i guess it was um shatner before he started playing up to the shatner persona wasn't it exactly exactly i mean an- another episode that i really love is 22 uh-huh. yeah the with um barbara nichols who's is uh, she's features in the sweet smell of success that was one of her big films but you know she plays the dancer who's having a nervous breakdown and she keeps having this repetitive dream where she goes down to the basement and this yeah. nurse opens the door and goes room for one more and the the room is the morgue uh-huh funny thing because there's a an episode of star trek the next generation called cause and effect and it's that exactly the same thing happens it's people think they're dreaming the same thing over and over again but the star trek connection in that is that uh, the nurse is played by arlene martel who is uh-huh. to pring in a mook time so it's, this is you can see my nerddom is just coming to full flow but that film that that particular one i don't know why really haunts me i mean do you can you do spoilers yeah, yeah, absolutely. We've covered that one. You know, is that she's, you know, the, the same person that she saw as the nurse is actually a stewardess on her plane. You know, yeah. room for one more, honey. And it's just <laughs> the way she just sort of loses it and screams and crawls over the, you know, runway back to the um, reception area. It's just, it's just a wonderful episode. It's always haunted me. Yeah, I could, I could see you in that one, Barbie, you know. I could in either role. I think you would have done would have done good in that one, don't you Flaky think? Flaky ex dancer with the stuffed <laughs> animals, yeah. <laughs> and the and the sort of uh, agent with a heart of ice. Um, it's a, it's a, it, it is. There's so many wonderful moments in that. And when you think how short these episodes were, how Serling was able to pack so much into what 24 minutes or whatever it was, it's yeah. quite amazing. I mean, I, I mentioned the shelter uh, again. I mean, I don't know if I should get too political here, but what an analogy for the success of, of certain people. This idea of fear turning us into to savages and that wonderful bit at the end, for civilization to survive, the human race has to remain civilized. Uh-huh. Wow. Yeah. You know? yeah. But also, 
I always wanted my dad to build a bomb shelter. It was the Cold War. <laughs> and, you know, I used to lie awake at night thinking a bomb was going to fall on my head. And, you know, the Cuban Missile Crisis, I, you know, I was obviously not born yet, <clears throat> but <laughs> it was really worrying me. And uh -huh. my father said, what's the point? You know, we'll have to stay in it for 20 years. We come out, everything's destroyed, better to be killed in a bright, shining light in two seconds. Yeah, not yeah. much of a comfort. <laughs> <laughs> still wanted that bomb shelter so that one was mm. a real inspiration uh, the fugitive i've mentioned little girl lost is a wonderful one not only that the uh, physicist is the hero you see this uh -huh. is why i mean he always triumphed rationality and and this kind of thing so i i just think that that's a, an exceptional and scary and and one more if i can mention is probe seven over and out richard base base heart Admiral uh -huh. Nelson on a Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. You see, I can't remember what I did yesterday, but I can remember TV shows that I watched back in the 60s. <laughs> but, no, I'm only kidding. But um, he's crash-landed on this planet, and he can't get back. And uh -huh. his, his world is just being about to be destroyed in war. And then he meets another Star Trek connection, Antoinette Bauer, and okay. it turns out, his name is Adam. Her name is Eve. Oh, spoiler alert. But <laughs> it's a wonderful episode because you think he's from Earth, of course, and she's speaking mm. this strange language and blah, blah, blah. And it's it's so delightful. And as Serling says at the end, of course, it's beginning of a fantasy or beginning of whatever. But it is um, it's a wonderful episode. And yeah. um, I think, what was that? One more. Oh, two more. Eye of the Beholder. Oh, of course. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, the nature of beauty, and that's such a powerful episode. And Definitely. this one, again, the, the last one, I have to mention it just because I did play a demon from hell, mm. is The Howling Man. Oh, of course, yeah. Yes, which is, what, a, what a bizarre episode it is. But um, it's got an actor in it who I've seen. Um, the delight of watching these is because I'm also a Perry Mason fan, the one with mm. Raymond Burr. And so many of these actors did all these these shows. So Robin Hughes, yeah. who plays the the uh, the devil in uh, Howling Man, has appeared in a couple of um, Perry Mason episodes. I mean, virtually the someone in the cast at some point has been in Perry Mason, but they were all <laughs> doing the same show. You know, they were all doing you know all the shows that were out at that time. You know, they yeah. even ended up a few years later playing. You know, in Another show that we watched all the time was uh, Hawaii Five O with Jack Lord. So um, yeah. it it is, you know, again, it's it's a wonderful, bizarre episode simply because you know everybody's trying to say hey, we got the devil locked up in that cell, and they all look insane. I wouldn't believe them. You know, <laughs> <laughs> of course I'm going to let that poor handsome man out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, absolutely. Those are the top ones, and of course, um, you know, time enough at last. I think I did mention that, and the invaders are also. Uh, wonderful episodes but the thing is both of those end rather badly and i must admit i like the episodes that are are sort of have a oh, sort of a sometimes a hopeful note yeah yeah you're obviously quite well read and and watched a lot of science fiction and so on so what what do you think makes the Twilight Zone unique as as opposed to something like say the Outer Limits or, or something like that? The Outer Limits, which I also loved and which we also watched. I mean, that mm. scared me to death. You uh -huh. know, there's one episode I, I was so scared because it was aliens and I was scared of aliens, and so I would go and play the piano, and then I came out and there's this one called the Galaxy Being, and I came out just at the moment where the the Galaxy be Being is waving. <laughs> sort of screamed and went in and played the piano again. So, but it was there was something about the outer limits that I really liked, but it was much more sci-fi oriented and it had the philosophical bits. But yeah. Um, but you know, I think that the thing about the Twilight Zone is is there has so much heart and humanity to it, mm -hmm. and he did get his point across. Uh, but not in a heavy-handed way, and and his little outros were always really. Um, I mean, they had intros and outros. I think in the oh, it was was that Night Gallery? Or, no, it did in the Outer Limits as well. But I yeah. don't know. There was just something 
I don't know. It had more heart, I thought. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's yeah. why I prefer it. I would say, you know, Twilight Zone, Outer Limits, Night Gallery. Mm-hmm. If I was going to choose those kind of shows, yeah. um, those that would be the... Uh, and also, when you think about it, Rod Serling had so much to do with yeah. the Twilight Zone. I mean, he wrote a large proportion of the episodes, and he created it and he demanded creative control which he got which was wonderful we're we're going to talk about maybe some of your short stories in a minute but did twilight zone teach you anything as a writer you know in crafting your own short stories i think that that whatever i take away from my favorite authors which is patricia highsmith clive barker um Shirley Jackson, Hemingway, mm-hmm. <laughs> not that I would touch any of the hem of their garments as far as I, my <sighs> writing is concerned, is keep it short, keep uh-huh. it muscular, keep it, put some humor in it if you can. Uh-huh. Even my serial killer has a sense of humor. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I think that, you know, it's, it's, uh, I, uh, can only hope to have some twists with my short story that are as good as what Serling came up with. Mm-hmm. But um, that's the, the thing I take away from it. it it's, it's the writing is just so pure. I don't like fussy writing, you right. know, the three pages to describe a room. I mean, oh, geez, you know, who's <laughs> the guy who wrote the, the um, turn of the screw, which was the became the innocence Henry James, was it? The Innocence is a fantastic movie with Deborah Carr and Michael Redgrave. It's, it's extraordinary. Uh-huh. Um, the, I tried, because I love the movie, I thought, oh, I'll read the book. Three pages to describe the room. <laughs> you know, honestly. And then when you look at Shirley Jackson's uh, The Talented Mr. It's Shirley Jackson, what am I saying? Patricia Highsmith's The, the Talented Mr. Ripley. She mm. describes the whole interior of a house in a couple of paragraphs, and you can see it in your mind. I mean, yeah. cinematographically, it's almost like a cinematographic style of writing uh-huh. that you see everything perfectly but you don't run and on and on and on with it and i think that's the the brevity of 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 it and the powerfulness of it is what i would say i would take away from from mr serling and all the these other writers that i admire so i i don't know if i've ever told you this bobby i think my favorite thing you've done is voices of the damned i mean i, I like Obviously, I love Venus Complex too, but I just think it's such a beautiful book, you know, as a as something, you know, not just the stories, but what what they put together. You know, the hardback edition is is a thing of beauty, isn't it, with the paintings in it and so on. So, uh, the, well, the the deluxe edition is is I have to say, my my um, uh, publisher Paul Fry designed, and he did such a beautiful job. It's on premium paper and and it's full color illustrations. But even the paperback and the Kindle have the full color illustrations. Oh wow! Which is, okay. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 great. Um, but uh, I love that book, and it was my mm. dream. It took a year to put together, and um, <laughs> sounds weird. I love my book, but <laughs> <laughs> no, of course. But it it was like a real, you know, and to to I got um, the guy who the artist who did the cover for the Venus Complex, Daniel Serra, to do. Uh-huh. You know, he signed on first, and then then I thought, why not ask Clive? And yeah. he was so generous. He said, pick whatever you want. And I've got through what one of his paintings is um, on the cover and two are inside. And then the other people like Nick yeah. Percival, who did the Hellraiser um, boom comics is, you know, he came next. And, you know, I've got, I mean, all the artists have, have just done a fantastic job with illustrating my stories, but that's lovely. Thank you very much. I mean, I suppose, you know, I, my dream in a way, and I really should try and do something about it is to have a TV series made up and based on the stories in the book. I yeah, think that would be yeah. really cool. <laughs> oh, absolutely. If there's a producer out there, I'm willing to talk. Um, <laughs> because I think it would be fun. Yeah, yeah. Th- I think they'd lend themselves really well to that. Absolutely. So give us a rundown of what kind of stories are in it. Well, I think that, that it goes from, you know, there's a vampire story in there, but it's not, they don't twinkle. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> they drink something <laughs> other than blood. Um, there's a story called Botophobia, which I think I mentioned previously is is based on my fear of movies like Invaders of the Body Snatchers and uh-huh. um, 
uh, Invaders from Mars, the 50s versions. These are the ones I saw. And mm-hmm. in both of them, you know, the parents are slipping the pods under the kid's bed or the parents get taken over by, you know, it's, it's all about paranoia, yeah. which really fed my paranoia. I used to check my dad's neck to see if he'd been drilled by Martians every time he came up from the basement. That's how paranoid <laughs> I was. And so, um, but that, again, you know, it's got a, 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 sh- a bomb shelter in it. Even though my father didn't build one for us in that story, he does because mm. it's actually based on our house, you know, everything about it. So, um, what else? Um, oh, it's got everything kid with hands of good and evil, Zulu zombies, and Milton Keynes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and of course, three female Cenobite stories. Um, one is yeah. the making of a female Cenobite from a disillusioned nun the second she gets her own lament configuration and the third she has this rebellion in hell against the the other male cenobites it's a me too female cenobite story um (laughs) and also one of my favorite stories is writer's block yeah about this uh writer who goes to a horror convention and meets uh, a fan (laughs) always be very wary of people who say they're your greatest fan so um, can you think of any, what's your favorite story? You know, I really like the one with the, um, the one you mentioned then with the child. American and one good one. That's it. Yeah. That one I really like. Yeah. But it, it also interested me as well because you kind of, you mentioned Sister Celise and I always like those two, the way you took ownership to a degree of the female Cenobite and said, well, I'm going to see, explore hair a bit more in, in your own sort of way. I really like that. I'm actually writing a fourth story to oh, to yeah. end yeah, to, to end it. Um, how she repopulates hell because hell is destroyed. Oh, oh no, another spoiler. Another story <laughs> I do have feel very personally about actually is Gaia, uh, originally yeah. titled Uranophobia, because uh, I was asked to contribute to uh, two different stories to two different anthologies about phobias. Mm. And one of them was I thought, God, what's my greatest fear? And um, uh, actually, home invasion. Yeah, is my but you can't. I was given the letter U, and I thought, okay, uranophobia. What's that? Fear of the god of the sky. How can I turn that into home invasion? Well, I did uh, because I wanted <laughs> to write about it, and because um, I think that's so creepy. People yeah. know you're in there, and they oh god, you know. So, but um, uh, my my lady who's obsessed with the god Uranus in mm. triumphs, luckily. Um, but it's, it's, they're always a little bit of a personal bit in it, um, yeah. but not too much, obviously. But um, you have to have some kind of, you know, it's a, well, you know, when I was writing the Venus Complex, obviously, you know, I'm writing from the viewpoint of a guy. So that's yeah. always a bit of a challenge. But, you know, it, it's, there's, I always like to put something a bit personal into it. And even if it's just a tiny experience that one character might have. But I think yeah. it's, if you're writing about a fear that you yourself have, it, it puts a bit more passion into, into the story, I think. Yeah, yeah. So with Venus Complex, I, I, was, I remember when we spoke about it several years ago it's really interesting the way you put that together because you went and spoke to detectives and everything didn't you so tell us a bit about venus complex well um i started this out as a story about a plucky forensic psychologist who's on the trail of an evil serial killer and i got so bored and there's Mm. nothing more demoralizing than abandoning a book halfway through but i thought well what am i really interested in i've always been interested in the criminal mind write it from his viewpoint and uh-huh. that's how i started it and it's it, it's very liberating writing as a guy <laughs> oh really <laughs> well i mean i think maybe because i used to be an actor i mean the jury's mm-hmm. out of how good i was but it's just you put yourself into the character of the person but i want i had to do my research so i actually read books by serial killers or stories by serial killers i i interviewed um, a detective on the um, manhattan north police squad mm-hmm. who just finished the serial killer case and um, my sister-in-law, who sadly passed away, knew him because she was one of the most notorious dominatrixes in New York. And, and he'd investigated this case where this unfortunate dominatrix um, 
um, her patient, her her patient, her client died, and so she she chopped him up and put him in garbage bags and stuck him outside of a Chinese restaurant. Oh wow! <laughs> I think she was finally charged with you know improper burial or something, but no one could figure out what had happened and they didn't find the body but anyway um ava was a technical advisor on the case and so she knew um this guy and i went had a wonderful chat with him and i also interviewed a bunch of forensic psychologists as well so i feel the research in the book is is good and um uh but also it was just i explore his sexual fantasies and i felt that that hadn't really been done before it's all about mm. the violence with a lot of these kind of books so i really wanted to to uh investigate and explore his sexual thoughts yeah. which is why fangoria called me shall i dare say one of my reviews one of the finest you know purveyors of erotically charged horror around i mean i didn't set out to do it like that uh, but i mm. often my stories do because humans are sexual creatures and we sort of in a strange anglo-saxon way try to deny this and go oh no you know but in essence you know we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for sex so it's a very important part Uh of our parcel of our psychology so that's why i um wanted to investigate that and explore it and um i think i i did it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> with uh, people seem to respond to it but yeah. one of the first reviews i got on amazon was sick <laughs> really oh well then you must be good then yeah well exactly you know i i was worried and called up a writer friend he said that's brilliant you know <laughs> it's mm-hmm. a great review it's uh so um because <laughs> you know if you're interested in what these people really think about i think i've actually replicated it pretty well yeah so yeah I mean, there's a, a lot of sex in <laughs> <laughs> Voices of the Damned as well, and then that that goes through to the Venus complex, which has the um, the knock on effect of having you know Doug Bradley reading the all these things that Michael says in the audiobook version of the Venus complex, and it's um, you know tell us how that came about. Well, this is interesting. I actually. I gave Doug a copy of my book ages ago, but he hadn't read it. I mean, he's a busy guy. And just to point out to people who aren't Hellraiser fans, Doug Bradley plays Pinhead, the the lead Cenobite in the Hellraiser franchise. I think he was in eight films. Anyway, I got to talking a couple of years ago to his girlfriend, Steph, who is a fabulous artist, brilliant. Uh, She does paintings and sculpture and she's multi-talented anyway it turns out she's obsessed with serial killers too because i started reading about serial killers oh gosh you know because they're so different than me i am not a serial killer you'll be relieved to hear Uh, but i just thought wow these creatures without empathy stalking us you know it's just extraordinary you know and so i was Uh wanted to know what they take she's exactly the same and I, i gave her a copy of the book and I said, staff, you know, please read my book. And she said, oh, Barbie, I'm so sorry. I only read nonfiction. And, you know, I don't like oh. reading fictional books about serial killers. I said, listen, just give it a go, okay? Because I really did my research on this. Uh-huh. Anyway, um, about a year and a bit ago, I saw Doug and Steph, and they came over to me. And she said, Doug read your book to me because I like – she reads um, – she likes audible books, and she uses – she – as a background when she's working and i went uh-huh. oh my god i'd love to hear that doug bradley reading my book and he said we gotta talk about that wow so that's how the project started is that um he said i'd love to do the audible book of this he's done a series called spine chillers which yeah. galermo de toro himself called remarkable and he does have the most amazing voice Mm-hmm. Um, speaking voice. So we we worked on it, and it was such a delight working with Doug again, after all these years. Because I was sort of his director, he'd ask you know questions, but I I basically most of it was you know um, pronouncing things. Um, we made the decision that he's spent his formative years as a teenager in the UK because oh, I didn't yeah. want him to, yeah, I didn't want him to lose his accent because Michael originally uh-huh. is American, but um, Michael Friday, but uh, 
you know, he, he thought, he said, what in God's name possessed you to have poor Michael being raised in Potter's Bar, which is this <sighs> really, supposedly it is the most boring place on the planet. But I said, well, it's perfect, you know, adds uh-huh. just frustration. Uh, but no, it was absolutely delightful. And I think he's done a magnificent job, sinister. And But, you know, the way he starts out, it's like he, you know, because it's just after his car accident, he's, he's sort of on this... You feel that he's kind of at sea, if you like. And then as yeah. he gets more into his Venus complex project, you know, the, you just, it's, he's a, it, the acting is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And um, I really enjoyed listening to his, um, listening to his performance. It's quite yeah. wonderful. It was uh, such a nice surprise to hear that it was happening because I, I used to get um, spine chillers as well. And like you said, you know, I, I could listen to Doug Bradley read the phone book. He's he does have that wonderful voice. So the two things coming together, I was just really pleased with it. And uh, yeah, I've I've listened to it a couple of times since since I've got it. So it, is, it really is good. Wow, brilliant! Now, did you listen to it in the car? Your car? Yeah, that, that's is, where is I it okay? Is it safe? <laughs> <laughs> no, I was yeah, just thinking, I'm, God, it just couple scenes there that maybe you shouldn't be listening to when you're driving but uh, no no I honestly but it's the thing that actually came through to me I thought was how funny the book is because his little you know his delivery I mean it is kind of there are some funny bits in it. it's not just you know horror and all this kind of stuff um and his you know the way he says certain things about um you know the uh how how the world is because you know he michael friday does comment on you know current affairs and television what's happening now and you know how it's all yeah. turning into the mask of the red death with the 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 rich ones up in the castle partying with vincent price while the hoi polloi scrabble for a potato which uh-huh. seems like it's happening even now someone even used that analogy today talking about brexit which i thought was quite funny mm-hmm. um but you know his his little you know the things that he he adds with the the humor it really does come through as well yeah that's fascinating you know the the your words but when someone else performs them like that i i guess you hear things that maybe you you didn't anticipate is that right well i think here's his normally i read things out you know to my ideal reader you know it's the only way really to to get mm-hmm. the feel for it you print it out on the piece of paper and you read it out loud and um to hear something obviously i'm not a 40 year old sexually frustrated guy and (laughs) i mean that one of the things i did want to point out it is this story of a someone who becomes a serial killer and a friend of mine who's um said you know i always wondered why people would make that kind of move and Mm -hmm. and you know you explain it very well how this could possibly happen but to hear doug it does give it just like opens the world up you know yeah. to see to have someone else perform it uh-huh. it was just a revelation wonderful next stop the movie well let's hope so let's hope so so that's on um that's on audible at the moment isn't it it is it is and um you can just sign in on your amazon account i believe yeah it's uh yes all my books are available on amazons and you know from the direct from the publisher as well Sorry, shameless right. plug there. No, that's okay. That's okay. So um, just to kind of swing things back to the Twilight Zone, we are coming up to that that new series in April. Are you, are you going to be tuning in for that? Well, um, I'm a bit old school, and uh-huh. I loved it so much. And if I hadn't watched Get Out last week, shame on me mm-hmm. for waiting so long, I would be looking askance at it. But I noticed that Jordan Peele is yeah. doing it, and that I will definitely, absolutely give it a, do a good viewing because I thought Get Out was quite extraordinary. Um, uh-huh. I sort of didn't like it at the beginning, but then I thought, wow! And I think that he is—he's. I love what he's doing. I love what he's, um, you know, trying to promote other writers and you know all this sort of stuff. So I, I think I absolutely want to give him my support, and yeah. I think you know more power to him that he he's taken over the project from the people who started be, before. I mean, this has been in the the pipeline for a while, 
And yeah. um, I seem to remember I saw a few of the, there was a, a reboot of The Twilight Zone in the 90s, was it? There was, um, there was the 1985 one, and then there was one in, I think it was like 2002 or something like that, which only lasted one season. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it's interesting. I mean, I'm not sure. I know that there there's one called, I think, Nightmare at 30,000 feet or something that's they're yeah. definitely doing. And I'm thinking, oh, gosh, you know, it'd be interesting to see it. And, of course, that one was chosen as well to be in the Twilight Zone movie. Uh-huh. And um, I don't know. I don't know. We'll just have to see. I'm, my my jury is out on on reboots and remakes. <laughs> it, well, it's interesting because the um, when that was announced, I did a podcast episode where I, I talked to someone, just you know, saying what we anticipated and so on. And after I put that out, the one of the executive producers tweeted me back and said, "It's it's not a remake." Um, so they may just be using the title, you know, in the same way, like the, there was, uh, an episode of the 1985 Twilight Zone called Little Boy Lost, but it was just kind of riffing on the title. It wasn't actually a remake of Little Girl Lost. Um, so I'm wondering whether it's something like that, where they're just paying a little homage, but it's a different story, but I guess we'll see. I will see, but I will watch it. And I think it's very impressive that the European the producer to you know came back <laughs> to you how how delicious yeah. um but it's it is um you know i think my my problem with anything like this is you know of course i know people in the music business and they would say the same thing is that these industries are always risk adverse mm. and that if you get anything that's really quite extraordinary it is a matter of, you know, someone just taking a punt or just saying, oh, I'll just give them a few million, you know. I mean, things with A Quiet Place and yeah. Hereditary and, and Get Out, they were all, they weren't million-dollar, you know, superhero movies. You know, they, they were mm-hmm. modestly budgeted, but they caught people's imagination. And this is why I think that, you know, it's in good hands with, with um, Jordan Peele because he's, he's you know, I've... I, you know, he he got an Oscar for Get Out mm-hmm. for Best Original Screenplay, I believe. And so this is a man who has great ideas, original ideas. And yeah. um, so I can only – and he obviously – I think he, he actually said that, that The Twilight Zone was a huge influence on him. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I, I'm hopeful because he's involved. Yeah. So yeah. – um, but I think that, you know, it would be nice for people to – do you know original things but uh, maybe i should send him a copy of voices of the damned <laughs> turn one of them into a twilight zone episode but um i don't know i did have to sort of rewrite it heavily because of all the um, sexy bits but what <laughs> network is it it's oh is it cbs yeah cbs all access um i don't know i'm hoping that they put it on netflix in the uk like they did with Star Trek Discovery, but nothing's been announced yet, so we'll have to wait and see. Well, we'll have to see. We'll have to yeah. see. But I think, you know, I, I, I'm absolutely will be there watching it if it's available to see. It's interesting, actually, because I didn't realize that the Twilight Zone is something that he coined. And now we're all talking about, oh, my God, you know, we're in the Twilight Zone with Brexit or we're in the Twilight Zone with all these other horrible things that are happening. But, uh, you know, it is what I always say when I put up something by Rod Serling is that the genius of Rod Serling. Yeah. And uh, I think mm-hmm. that it's, it's his wonderful little mystical stardust that he sprinkled. You know, here we are ta- still talking about it, you know, 60 years later. And the new TV series is coming out. It's it's actually wonderful. Absolutely, absolutely. So it's always lovely to speak to you, Barbie. And I, uh, you know, I I want to know what's new with you. What's what's going on? Have you got anything else coming up that we can look forward to? Well, I'm working on a couple of things. Uh, mm-hmm. One is. Um, uh, there was a, a bright and shining moment last year when we thought we got some funding for uh, this film that I'm exec producing and co-writing uh, mm-hmm. based on an original short story of mine called Blue Eyes. Yeah. Um, and uh, But that 
that's sort of fallen through. It's the way with independent filmmaking. So we're just soldiering on. Hopefully might be in going into pre-production in autumn, uh, just doing a low, low, low budget version. Um, okay. And it's, it's sort of um, my tagline is <laughs> necrophilia is good for the soul, even if you don't have one. It's kind of me. <laughs> it's sort of, have you seen a film called Under the Skin? Uh, the um, Scarlett, Johansson. Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, I have, I have. It's sort of under the skin meets Barfly. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Anyway, and there's that, and I'm working on a movie script. Been doing that for a few years now, uh, for Zulu Zombies, uh-huh. which I'd love Hammer to to take on um, when I finally finish it. And um, I'm working on a new novel. Um, okay. It's a it's a ghost story. Very personal and it's not supernatural <laughs> and it's not it's horror but it's real life horror intriguing <laughs> and, intriguing. <laughs> and um, I've got to finish my final sister Celeste thing as well I don't know what will happen with it but um, maybe just release it as a you know a sort of little extra uh-huh. um, but um, and I've got a short story coming out very soon in March um, that called patient k mm. and that's um under domain demain publishing and it's going to come out as its own little book okay. uh, i think they call it like a chat book but it's a kindle chat book mm. and um that's about uh, God. Uh, it's about a woman who has a a um ocular prosthesis or a fake eye okay and it's really horrible but i just can't <laughs> believe i wrote it i said where do i get these ideas from um so again that's kind of a ghost story in a weird yeah. way and then um another story based on um sort of the world of dante's inferno that is uh, i have to have that finished by uh uh april right so i i was given lust okay, go figure well. <laughs> <laughs> surprise surprise <laughs> Those last two are all being edited by my dear friend, Dean Drinkle. And um, Zulu Zombies was um, in the, oh gosh, Bestiarium something. (laughs) Um, He has wonderful names for his anthologies. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, so uh, that's... Oh, and one thing I have done that I'd like to mention if there's time is I've done a public service announcement for Women in Horror Month 10, Uh Massive Blood Drive. And this is from uh, the the wonderful uh, twin directors who wrote the afterword for for Voice of the Damned, the Soska sisters, who directed American Mary. Oh, I love that movie. Films. Yeah, isn't it brilliant? And it their is. their remake of Rabbit is going. Oh, sorry, reimagining of Rabbit is going to be amazing. This I can't wait uh-huh. to see that. But I've done a, a public service announcement for it, um, uh-huh. and I filmed at the latest convention I was at. So Doug Bradley, Simon Bamford, Andy Robinson, and Nico Vince from Hellraiser are in it, along with Kane Hodder, Linda Blair. Uh, Edward Furlong, Alex Vincent, and Bill Mosley. They're all big, you know, I mean, obviously Edward was in Terminator 2 and um, Mm -hmm. Alex Vincent was a child's play and Linda Blair goes without saying, Exorcist, Bill Mosley, Devil's Rejects. And of course, Andy Robinson was also in, um, (laughs) can I have a signed picture of you being the Scorpio killer, please, and Dirty Harry? He's got some wonderful stories to tell. So I filmed them all, you know, talking about, you know, giving blood. It's all about encouraging people to give blood, to donate blood, because 4.5 million lives a year are saved by blood transfusions in America alone. So it's an important lesson. So it's on my Barbie Wild YouTube channel, sometimes known as BW Barbie. Uh And... um, you know, please go and have a look at it and give blood if you can. You know, it's it's funny. Andrew Robinson, I think, is the point at which all of your your different worlds intersect, isn't he? He was in Hellraiser. He was a serial killer in Dirty Harry. He was in Star Trek. So he just oh needed to be in the Twilight Zone, and then you've got the set. 
I have to say, he should do it. He should do it. Oh, my God. That would be perfect, wouldn't it? Of course. I, You know, I said, oh, my God, you were in Star Trek. And he just went, you didn't know? And you call yourself a Star Trek fan? <laughs> of course. You know, it's, it yeah. is, um, you know, it is wonderful. He, I'm, I'll tell him that the next time I see him. He's um, <laughs> he's such a delight to, to uh, chat to. But everybody yeah. is. I mean, you know, this is the thing with horror horror stars and probably actors in general i suppose it's that they're all pretty adorable when you meet them in real life you know the prima donnas and the um the divas are are not that prevalent in the business you know so uh, they all yeah. were very good natured and uh took part and i only gave them one or two takes you know because i was just running around the convention um so <laughs> it was it was it's very you know i'd like to think it's fun and amusing so if people yeah. want to have a look at it and then be encouraged to donate blood, it's a, a good thing. Well, Bobby, you know, it's always a pleasure to speak to you. I uh, I don't see you enough. It would be lovely to sit down and, and do this again sometime. But thank you so much for taking a bit of time out to talk some Twilight Zone today. Oh, well, listen, thank you so much for inviting me to talk about one of my favorite TV shows of all time. So um, it's it's a blessing to be able to express my nerddom <laughs> on a podcast. Yeah. So, no, thank you so much. So there we go. That was my chat with my good friend, Bobby Wilde. I hope you enjoyed it. And I will put a link to all of Bobby's projects in the show notes at thetwilightzonepodcast.com. And if you did enjoy it and you want to hear a bit more about her Hellraiser, acting days and so on then go over to patreon.com slash twilight zone podcast and you can check out an interview that i did years ago with her for free over there okay so next time it is another interview but rest assured the regular episodes are coming back i'm just waiting for this cold to go and then we will be back to it so i will speak to you soon bye for now